Hello, and welcome to the Sporting Chance Podcast. I'm Matt Maritea. I'm going to be your host. This is a podcast that's all about talking sports and having a beer or maybe two. So, thank you for stopping by, and without further ado, let's get to it. Hey, hey, what do you say? It's Matt Maratea back again with another edition of the Sporting Chance Podcast. As always, I'm here to talk a little about sports, maybe a little about life, and give myself an excuse to enjoy a fine craft beverage. Now, today, I wanted to dive in to a couple topics. I, I've got something about fan-controlled football and fan-controlled sports that sort of leads into maybe some questions and comments I have about coaching. we got the Sixers, Eagles, Phillies, and right now I'm just ignoring the Flyers because they have irked me. They've irritated me. And the only thing I'm really going to say about that is that, you know, I, I hope and Lane Vigneault and Chuck Fletcher are watching the playoffs closely and seeing the teams that are advancing, like the Islanders, uh, seeing a team like the Hurricanes, you know, uh, see what Minnesota is doing, Chuck's old haunt, uh, and Winnipeg, right? Seeing how these teams are built and uh, seeing how they are able to find success so far. Um now, from there, uh, you know, we're going to jump into a topic that I'm quite fond of. I know uh, my buddy Vince Quinn is quite fond of. You can check me out on the FCF Owner's Box. Uh, that podcast should be out now already. Um, we're commenting about fan-controlled football and sports. Uh, we both jumped in with the Glacier Boys uh, this year, and we're calling plays, um, and I had a really, really fun experience sort of being part of, at the helm of a football team. Uh, we had our buddy and, uh, yeah, Andy, he was there too, and uh, Andrew Pettit. Uh, yeah, uh, we're doing some really, really fun stuff, so check out FCF Owners Box, the podcast, the website, um, we might be undergoing a rebranding because the league may or may not be stealing that name from us, but I digress. Basically, the experiment that was fan-controlled football this year uh, seemed to be a pretty resounding success. And that actually has opened up the possibility and you know it's it sort of been teased by the people originally behind this project that... Yeah, this is going to happen again, and this is something that is going to expand to other sports, right? So as we wait for season 2.0, we've been looking at some other sports, right? Uh, basketball, uh, baseball, and, and sort of how they would work, uh, you know, amongst the fans. And I think there are some really interesting concepts, and I love this idea of fan interaction and being at the helm of it. Because right, deep down, everybody wants 
that control. Everybody wants to be a part of something bigger, to take your fandom to the next uh, level. And what's kind of uh, been eating at me is how to do this responsibly, right? As a fan, as someone who's invested uh, in this idea monetarily, minimally, right? <laughs> but yeah, because I really love this idea and I, I want to see how far it goes, but also, right, how do I do this so that you know, I dedicate the proper time to it. I've done the right research. I'm doing the right things that are putting these players who are, you know, putting their bodies on the line in the right positions. And how do we do that collectively as a group? Right, because you've got people, you know, thousands and thousands of people, you know, all, all voting on the same play or voting for different plays, you know, trying to see. And you've got groups organized on Twitch on Reddit, you know, on Discord chats, you know, uh, all jockeying for position and power and, you know, trying to see you know, what happens in these games. And, I don't know, something about the structure has bothered me, whether it needs to be more tiered, right, the more you put in, the more of a voice you have, or, you know, maybe you get some exclusive sort of privilege amongst the team or play callers or or something like that. I just, as we've seen scenarios where, uh, you know, they maybe have added a popular figure like on Twitch, right? Because this is a, a whole gamified thing. It's very video game-esque. And, you know, people on that platform, you know, we have a wide range of, you know, maybe people who weren't involved in football before or haven't watched a ton or just getting involved because there is that video game aspect to it. And, you know, because it's not Madden. And, you know, it's not an ordinary sort of seven-on-seven seven scenario. And this, I think, is the main problem that they are going to have to tackle as they move forward with these new sports, new leagues, and into the next season, specifically of fan-controlled football for 2.0. And, you know, I... You know, there are issues, uh, but it's fun, right? Most of all, and I think that's what everybody wants from sports, that fun. So I, I really would encourage everyone to check it out. Um, you know, they're not, I think, taking investors or money at this time, but it's something to keep in mind, something to check out, to follow. Uh, get on the social medias, get on the Twitch. They had a show today, and there's some really, really good minds behind this at the top, you know, a guy like Patrick Dees, uh, you know, I really think that this has legs and this is going to keep going. So, you know, this is sort of my preach to it. Um, yeah. Get involved in fan-controlled everything. And on that note, I'm going to introduce the beer, right, because I'm going to need a little bit of sip before I jump into that next topic, because I, I, it's something I've sort of had to do some soul-searching about, and, you know, as I've gotten involved with a different hockey team, I, I've sort of seen my role change, and maybe my views change a little bit. So this week's beer is from Atco Brewing Company, uh, right down the road by me, uh, I was able to stop by their tap room, uh, nice little place, you know, it was still all covid -y. Uh, in there, so not the full experience, 
but some really interesting stuff on tap. Uh, they've been around for a decent amount of time now. Uh, if you're from around here or, you know, involved in New Jersey beer, you've probably heard their name by now. I think it's, yeah, you know, I love seeing places like this that just keep going, keep doing new things, pushing the envelope and, and creating different things. And this right here is one of the more unique beers that I've seen. It's called the Affigiato IPA. And I put a little accent on that because, yes, that is affigiato, how you would think of it. Now, that is a traditional sort of Italian dessert. It's gelato with espresso uh, poured, and now I can't stop, poured on top of it. And you could do it with, you know, liquor, like a coffee liqueur or an amaretto or maybe something like a Kahlua. They've made that into a beer. So this is 7% IPA, 13 IBUs, so super low for that, sort of that milkshake style. Uh, it's made with oat sweet and lactose, uh, fresh vanilla beans, and an Italian cold brewed coffee, dry hopped with citra and bravo uh, hops. And they say it boasts, it's sweet, boasts some dried fruit aromas, medium roast coffee. And, and I'm super anxious to sort of jump into this. Um, I love coffee. I love gelato of ice cream um and you know this being an ipa i think is a really interesting sort of concept behind it right because you think ipas and you think oh it has that hop maybe it even has that haze to it and this is something that i'm sort of anticipating is going to be totally different So, yeah, uh, poured out. It's, you know, kind of got that yellowy color, a uh, little bit, I'm not going to say hazy, but not exactly a clear beer. And I, uh, I'm going to assume it smells a little hoppier than it is, but you do sort of get that sort of slight coffee-ish aroma to it. So yeah, go go figure. Um, and instead of cheers, we're gonna go sentani today, which means a hundred years. Maybe we all live a hundred years. That is far out. That's weird. That's cool. I like that. So, jumping into my next topic is how much control does does a coach really have, you know, in game, in practice, you know, with his players, right? Because in fan controlled football, there were position coaches and guys, you know, coaching these guys up, you know, the players up during practice weeks and during the games, you know, uh, telling them to look out for things, working with them on the sidelines. But ultimately, it was, you know, the fans who were calling plays, right? So being a coach, you know, for high school hockey and now middle school hockey this spring has sort of given me kind of that behind-the-scenes perspective. And, you know, obviously, it's going to be different when you get to the pros and they're professionals and this is what they do. But, yeah. 
right? I've always sort of prescribed to the idea that as the coach, or as the person in charge, I want to put them in the best possible position that I can uh, to succeed. And I want to give them the reins to sort of achieve their own success. Right? Being someone who had so many different coaches at so many different levels, and I've kind of gotten a taste of all, all the different styles. I believe, you know, that each individual, you know, each kid was different and you had to coach them, talk to them, maybe in a consistent way, but everything has to be tailored for the individual. And maybe that's a reflection of the generational changes or maybe that's just sort of how I see it. You know, knowing that I've had coaches who, you know, would change their styles uh, depending on, you know, how, how they would deal with me. You know, uh, there were some teams where I was almost a, a whipping boy because, you know, I could say yes, coach, no coach. And, you know, I was just going to keep working hard. And, you know, if they wanted to pick on somebody or make an example, you know, that might be me on any given day. Just because I wasn't going to cause ruckus, I wasn't going to scream back, not have a sarcastic comment. Uh, I had one coach who used to call me smile. He said, no matter what I do, I yell at you, you just smile. I'm like, well, you know, I'm happy to be here and, and I'm going to do my best. And, you know, that was a little reflective of just, you know, my love for the sport. Uh, but, you know, I, I had another coach who, you know, he did yell at me a couple of times. And he said, he said to me later, you know, you stared at me just so blankly. And I realized, hmm, maybe I'm not getting through to him with the volume. And I'm definitely not a yeller. I like to coach the kids up, you know, give them a tip when I see them. But I mostly want them to find rhythm and consistency. And I feel, especially with something like hockey, that's a huge driver of success, being able to learn how to do something and be able to repeat that and then adjust to the various situations, you know, knowing the tools and then just sort of working through your own toolbox. And ultimately, it, it was very hard uh, some moments being out there because I... Yeah, you, know, you want to keep everything fair, and you want to win. You, you still want everybody to have time, and sometimes you see things slipping away, and you know, it's like, how do I fight this momentum going against us, right? We were a team this year when things were rolling with us. You know, you could do no wrong. Things were going to be good, and everybody was going to get chances. Everybody was going to keep playing. Everybody was smiles, happy, you know. But there were some times in some teams that we played that were just a little too much for us. And, you know, we could hold up for a good amount of time. But ultimately, you know, it was going to be for how long? Or, you know, do we try to adjust in a way where we may have to sacrifice, you know, playing time for some other people? And maybe uh, you know jump to a different strategy, and I didn't necessarily want to do that. I hesitated to do that very greatly, mostly because I think 
in a longer term sense, I had to show trust that I was going to stick, you know, with my guys no matter what, and that I had to instill that I had a belief in everyone that they could do their jobs and execute uh, no matter what the scenario. Now that may not have always been right. Um, I think it did endear me to some of the guys in a way, and I think that may have been beneficial. Did it cost us? Uh, I'm not sure. You know, I, I could replay every game in my head and, and still not be sure. Uh, some things, you know, maybe didn't turn out right, but the alternative was, uh, you know, uh, going to be a risk as well. So I was sort of, ha I was happy with how things played out. You know, we didn't get as far as we wanted to, but it, I think it was a really good season. And I think going into next year, we're going to be able to sort of expand on that and really get into the nitty gritty of what's going to make these kids tick and make them better hockey players and, and better young men. But ultimately, I don't think I have that much control. And I don't think any coach has that much control. Right. And I think it's all about ultimately preparation and then adjustments. And, you know, maybe it's like 30, 70 or 35, 65, but it's the onus is going to be on the players. Um, but not in a, a negative sense. So, yeah, that's sort of my take on that. Those are my thoughts. Ah, that was a well-deserved sip. And now, moving on. The Sixers are doing well, right? 2-0 in the playoffs so far. You know, Ben's on his game. Tobias, Joel. The starters are humming, right? Uh, Seth might be hurt, Seth Curry. But it looks like they've got capable backups in, you know, Matisse and Maxi and Shake to some extent. And, you know, I sort of posed this question on the Twitter page the other day. And, you know, the answer was, it's been a while. It's when the Sixers have been going so positively and we felt so good about this team. And in a way, I think people are even more optimistic than maybe 2001, you know, that finals run. Just in the sense that, you know, there are top-tier players here. Uh, you know, they have an MVP candidate, Joel Embiid, Defensive Player of the Year candidate in Ben Simmons, Pure Scorer and Tobias Harris. You know, Danny Green and Matisse are able to play lockdown defense. It's one of those teams where everyone seemed to fill into their role and grown and expanded and, and really is dialed in. Right, and I think a lot of that credit goes to Doc Rivers and Sam Cassell, but there's been a maturation process amongst the Joel Embiid's, the Tobias Harris's, the Ben Simmons, right, from the bubble last year to this season, and it's really, uh, I think they've really grown, and I'm not going to be shocked uh, if they do really well going into this playoffs. That they may, they might not lose a game until the conference finals which would really be something. A team that is losing games is able to scrape out a win today somehow, but the Phillies, they're kind of spiraling a little bit. They're just sitting at around 500. They are T 
teetering on destruction, right? Because Bryce Harper's hurt. JT Realmuto's hurt. Uh, D.D. Gregorius is hurt. Uh, the pitching staff just seems to be out of sorts outside of a guy like Zach Wheeler. Um, and the bench is being forced to play uh, far more than it should be. And this is another scenario where I think Joe Girardi may have a little more control in baseball than most sports. But with what he's been limited to, I think is having a very frustrating time making those adjustments and, and hasn't found the right fit, the right groove, the right jive. And it, things can be difficult to watch now. now the key, though, is going to be this, uh, maybe not even June, but July and August uh, because the N NL East is turning out to be not a great division. So it's going to be paramount that that second half of the season starts to go right. And I think this portion, they have to be very careful, careful and conservative with getting guys healthy, getting them in the position to make a push, right? To start being a team that takes three out of four of every series or, or two out of three, right? Doesn't have back-to-back -back losses, that type of thing. And the bullpen still needs adjustments, Right, and that's just going to be the eternal siren call of the Phillies organization. We need bullpen help, right? Whether it's you know call-ups from minors, or you know making trades, it has to happen if they are going to have any hope of pulling out this division. Now, conversely, a team that's not playing and you know is kind of tiptoeing around right now is the Philadelphia Eagles. Right? The Eagles themselves made so far one sort of majorish move outside of drafting Devonta Smith, uh, and that is bringing on Kerryon Johnson, who is sort of now the de facto backup running back. And, you know, it, it seems like a decent move. He's a guy that can play. Um and you hope that singles signals a return to the run game and a commitment to it. But there's rumors sort of being bandied about that they could be in on Julio Jones, the great wide receiver out of uh, Atlanta, who seems to be on the trading block. Now, I think that this would be a mistake for the Eagles to pursue that trade. One, I don't think they could do it. With what their cap situation is, they only have one million underneath the cap right now, and to bring in a Julio contract would require them to move a lot of money that I don't think is possible, feasible, or necessarily smart. And obviously, Jones is talented and will make this team better, but I don't think he impacts the team enough that they are then in a playoff scenario, and you know a, a team that could be poised to win. Uh, in the playoffs and that's you know i guess not a slight to the team that's just it, this is a rebuilding year and you know last year turned out to be not as anticipated and this year i think they're gonna have to take their lumps with a new coach new coordinators uh new quarterback you know sort of lots of new philosophies and new and different and and 
you know, a lot of those things being sort of bandied about right now. It's okay. Uh, it's just going to be, you know, be a tough year, but this is what they have to do in order to get better, to lay the foundation, right? You know, it's, it's bricklaying right now, and it's hard, crappy work. It's going to be hot, sweaty. Uh, you're going to mess up your hands. Uh, everything's going to hurt at the end of the day, but it's going to be worth it, right? Because that's the foundation you need to build. I hope. I don't know. I could see this going completely belly up and then being bad for two or three years and having to draft a brand new quarterback and start from scratch again. And I don't want to say this is my ultimate call for what's going to happen, but it's hard not to think that it might be likely. Now, hmm, that really is something that they've got there with that Avigato. But now, it is time to move on to great portion of the evening. Yes, still ripping open cards. Got another blank pack from Conti's Card Castle. And... Uh, you know, with the COVID restrictions sort of loosening right now, I may have a little more excitement in my life. But this has been in getting back into this hobby and doing it sort of through these blind grabs uh, has really sort of invigorated my collecting spirit. Right? And this should be a collection of baseball cards, uh, if my pull is correct. And man, some of these are old as all heck right uh look at this guy randy robert randy parentheses randall bush you know uh you know mid 80s here right take a look at that mug uh mark anthony witten uh you know a little 1990 wow good for him uh these are looks like some don russ yes don russ 90s jeremy burnett's from the Eastern League. This guy was actually a really good player. Like uh, one of those brewers from back in the day. Uh, ooh, something a little. Uh, uh, here we go. The 91 Upper Deck Collector's Choice Series. Ooh, little Art Deco stylings there. Uh, Pete Shrek. Gotta love the pitcher on base <laughs> or probably pinch running uh ooh, jeff musselman and, and i like the look of these don russ cards right here's a here's a greg jeffries here's a fleer 92 uh matt demarco those marlins uniforms that sort of teal that was great back in the day nook logan that is a name I have never heard. But, yeah, it looks like he's out there. Uh, Jeff Havelard. Kazuhiro Takoda. Uh, Mark Parent. And part of what I love about grabbing these bags is this. Uh, let me look at a Brady Anderson here. Is that... 
I don't know. And it's like an unknown amount of pile. Right? Here is Tom Foley, which I think is interesting because I think there's been a rise in uh, cards, at least in price, on guys who are were on teams that don't exist anymore. So a card like that, which may be just average, just because he's in the Expos uniform, is going up now. Here's Jody Gert. Mm-hmm. Kevin Essler. A lot of Mets in this series. Dave Stewart, right? And look at that sort of bordering there, right? It's got that sort of black, gray sort of dots to it. Jeff Kunkel. Dave Eland. Yeah, this... Getting a little long. Alan Newman. Oh, look. A Fleer baseball quiz. Oh, oh, awesome. Okay. Okay. So, number one, if a fly ball hits through for the Astrodome in fair territory and is caught by the fielder, what happens to the batter? Uh, he's out. Okay, two. True or false? Mickey Mantle hit the first home run in the Astrodome. That's true. Official name of the Astrodome was the Harris County Dome Stadium. And who was the original name? The Houston Colt 45s. Ooh, here we go. Here's Cody Bellinger. Not a rookie, but still pretty cool. All right, and that's a Topps 70-year. Sean Manea, he's a guy that keeps sort of popping up. I have to do a little more research on him. Uh, oh, here's a Corey Sager. You know, from the World Series. That's a unique sort of card. Ryan Brassier. He was kind of a utility guy. And then Nolan Ryan. In the final game of 1974, his third career no-hitter, has the lineup on the back with all the particular stats. Uh, yeah. No hit the Minnesota Twins. How about that? A member of the California Angels. That's cool. I love getting stuff like this. Uh, anyway, nice spread out from Conti's Card Castle. And as always, thank you for sticking with me and indulging my hobby. Uh, and finally, after that, I've got to get to this beer. Now, this, ah, gets another long sip. And as I've sort of gotten a little bit towards halfway through, the coffee taste has sort of come alive, right? And It has the vanilla beans in it, which gives it that level of sweetness and the IBU number, right? 13, so that means lower, right? It, you know, the it's a scale typically goes 1 to 100, can go past 100. But 13, when you get something called an IPA and it's that low, you think, uh, huh? It has that, you, you can taste the hops to it, but it doesn't overwhelm in any way. You get the vanilla, you get the coffee. I don't pick up on that fruit that it says. Maybe that's the hoppiness. 
But the uniqueness of something like this to sort of have that sweet coffee taste and be an IPA. Yeah, it's really cool. And I enjoy it. I think, you know, while this style of beer may not be the best vehicle for these flavors, uh, I love that there's something like this out there. Right? And people are trying to do something different. And I think it has that sort of lactosey sweet quality that makes this almost like a dessert beer in a way. And a dessert IPA is very rare, even in the milkshake category. Uh, but I really like this. I would give it a 4.25. I've said so as much on Untapped. And yeah, that about sums it up for me. I'm going to enjoy the rest of that. I'm going to do some Googling on these cards. Probably put this Nolan Ryan one where I won't get uh, any more my greasy, grubby fingers on it. Uh, I'm going to say go Sixers. Here they come. Thrust the process. Um, get involved with fan-controlled football. Um, remember, you can't control what happens on the field, ice, court, etc., etc., etc. Phillies need to shake things up. And as always, if you want to talk more, if you want to engage, if you want to get involved with the pod or me, my goings-on, visit lastoutmedia.com. Uh, visit me at Zed's. Visit me on social media at mmaritea22 across platforms, at sportchancepod across platforms, at untapped. Um, yeah, I'm always around, always looking for feedback, always looking for potential guests, somebody to share beer or some cards with, um, you know, some crosstalk. And anything I can do to make the show better, please let me know. Uh, thank you all. I enjoyed this as always. And I'll be around. I'll be back. And as always, well, or at least for this edition, Zendani.